Hello, welcome to Kill Your Silos, the only show about operators that dare to ask the fundamental questions at the heart of every operator's mind. That question, of course, there must be a better way to manage all of this shit. And I'm here to prove to you that there is indeed a better way, and it's called Revenue Operations. Each episode, I will host one of the innovators of RevOps methodology and ask them their thoughts. Today, I'll be speaking with Jessica Thompson, who is the Director of Revenue Operations at FMX. Jessica is a highly experienced in making designs and optimizing the sales and marketing tech stacks and processes. Uh, you're a wealth of knowledge, Jessica. I've been reading up on you. You're a passionate builder of processes, reporting, and enablement of teams that scale. Welcome, Jessica, to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, so I don't believe in icebreakers. So let's not let's start with some awkward questions. So um, let's start with the impossibly big question that I have for you, which is, what's the most important lesson you've learned in your career? And tell me the story and how you learned it. Uh, wow, that is a, that is a really big question to start with. Um, I think it's that you got to find your purpose. Um, I had a very circuitous route to figure out what I wanted to do. I started in higher ed. I, my background is actually, I have a degree in archaeology. So I thought I was going to be Indiana Jones. Um, huh. well, very, are you not? Cause I, cause I would argue. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> maybe see some of the stuff behind me and question that. Um, so, you know, I dig up a lot of dirt. That's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely find the old bones and what we're looking at. Um, so I guess in a way I I'm living my dream. Um, but uh it was, it took me a while to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. Um, but I got into like a marketing operations role by chance because that's a need that my team had like a systems role. And, um, it ended up being something that I figured out, you know what, this isn't like what I thought I was going to do with my life, but it was so fulfilling that I was like, let's see where this takes me. And it happened to be one of those things that not a lot of people either wanted to do or could do. So I just kind of said, let's, let's see how far I can take this. And it's, it's been a great ride so far. So uh, that's think, awesome. Yeah. So let's distill that down to just a little bit. So now you have someone that you're mentoring and you want to give them that advice. What specifically would you say that would teach them that lesson? Uh, I, I think it's really kind of keep going. You know, I mean, this, this is not, this is not a thankless job. A lot of times, you know, I mean, you're going to, you're going to get questioned a lot. People, you know, you'll, you'll get a lot of pushback certainly of, you know, whether it's, well, is your data right? Or, you know, like, what does this mean? What do we do? And I think, you know, you just kind of, you got to keep going with it and just, you know, it's, it's like a, a dog who's got a bone. If you catch something, just keep going with it. You're going to be unpopular, right? You're going to tell sales and marketing why they suck. And yeah. like, sometimes you're the bad guy. Sometimes you just say no. And I don't know, sometimes you get a power trip out of that. Sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I personally do. I like being able to say no. So. Well, I mean, I always tell people, uh, I was on uh, the uh, operations podcast with Drift with Sean Lane. And I was like, it's the stuff that you're willing to say no to that defines what your yes means. Yeah, it's, I've been called a hard ass and I had to kind of reflect on whether or not I was okay with that. Um, because, you know, it, it made me think, I was like, wow, am I okay being, a, first of all, being a woman and being called a hard ass, but second of all, well, you know what, I'm here to do what's best for my company. And if I need to be the hard ass to do that, great, I'll do it. If nobody else is going to step up and do it, I'm more than happy to do that. I'm in a role where I think it makes sense for me to do it. Um, I, I certainly don't have any qualms about saying things that are controversial. Um, mm -hmm. If I did, I think that's, that would make my job harder. I think so too. I think, um, 
you know, one thing that I would recommend to people don't just go around and tell everyone no, or don't just, you know, be, and I don't think you're saying that, but I think between the lines, it's like, uh, you need to have this North star that's guiding your, you know, your ability to do what's best. It can't probably be your own ego. It needs to be something a little bit more than that. At Go Nimbly, we believe in the, what we call the customer first, you know, like trying to create a gapless experience for the customer, which we'll talk about in a little bit um, as the highest form of maturity an uh, operations team can have because it's the one that is can be questioned the least. Yeah. Um, but I am all for this because I feel very clearly that uh, operations, especially revenue operations and sales ops, marketing ops is probably not going to get the same benefit that rev ops is going to get out of this. But you know, being a marketer in my past, I was there when people would say things like, oh, in marketing, we don't know what part of our marketing spend works. So we're just going to keep spending. And then suddenly attribution comes to the forefront. And now CMOs have a lot of power and money to spend within the organization. I think revenue operators and people who are making decisions on the the basis of what the customer gaps are, what's going to scale the company, these things are going to have that same moment where the data doesn't lie about the impact of our work. Right. How do you feel about that? And what are you doing to put that in place at, at your yeah, organization absolutely. today? Um, so that's part of my role is kind of to, to create these funnels, no matter how we get there, whether it's by hand or by system. Um, and then it's just radical transparency. Um, I'm lucky that I have the relationship with our, you know, with our VP of marketing and our sales director that I can just go to them and say, look, here's what seems to be working and here's what doesn't seem to be working. And what are we going to, what are we going to do next guys? It's not, I mean, I, I, you know, it's not up to me to say, here's what I think we should shift to. Sometimes I have the ideas and I might put them forward, but that's, I mean, that's their role, right? Like he, you know, this guy's been doing marketing longer than I've been working. And I'm like, what do you, you know, I'm just telling you what's not working and mm-hmm. how are you going to adjust to that? How are you going to pivot based on that? But it's, it's really that sense of, I feel um, really enabled with a voice to be able to say, I can tell you that this isn't working and here's how. I have built a system that will allow us to track this and here's how. And then, you know, there's just kind of a trust and camaraderie that comes along with it. But it, yeah. it took a while to get to that point. You know, that's definitely something that did not happen overnight. And I've, I've been in situations where it doesn't matter what data I have to back me up. I, I you know, it still wasn't, it wasn't good enough. Right, and which is interesting because, I want to talk about how you build that trust when it's mm-hmm. totally natural for this phenomenon called the silo syndrome to sort of creep into, especially tech organizations that are growing rapidly. You know, the most common symptoms of silo syndrome are like information hoarding, lack of collaboration, internal use of misalignment language, competitiveness between the teams themselves. And also, you know, just the, or, you know, how fast that team is growing. So how hard it is to disseminate information, yeah. which, you know, symptoms do you, have you seen in your past that have been the hardest to kill and what are some of the tactics you've used to try to to mend those those gaps so to speak um i mean it's definitely some of the biggest risks that i've seen of just you know like marketing and, and sales do not have a common place to come together and review things together right and and neither one of them have a chance to kind of review each other's strategies and talk through it so what i have kind of tried to do from a RevOps standpoint is sometimes I'm just a mediator. Sometimes I'm just the person who asks the question in the group so that it starts the conversation. Mm. And I might already know the answer, but I'm asking for the sake of just starting the conversation where everybody else is around and can hear it. Um, a, a lot of it though is I, I tend to push up if I can't, if I feel like something's not happening and that alignment is missing, I'll push up and I'll just make it known. 
You know, um, I, I've been lucky in that I've, I've been in organizations where I've been able to somewhat dictate where my org should be. I've, been, mm -hmm. I've worked for marketing. I've worked for sales. Right now I work for the executive team, which I feel is really kind of the best place for me because it takes me out of either I side. I totally agree. I yeah. think that uh, the, the new paradigm should be, and this is you know what I keep preaching to people that I think in 10 years we'll be at as organizations. If you think of uh, the go-to-market function uh, mm -hmm. being a yin-yang situation, yeah. part of that is to me, sales, marketing, customer success, who are, uh, are producing upsells, cross-sells, those kind of things. If you have that in your, in your team, that's your, uh, you know, that's your go-to-market team. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the ones that are in the front lines interacting with customers, either through at-scale communication like marketing or, you know, sales in AEs, BDRs, and all the way down to, you know, CS and, and, and that kind of stuff. And then you have on the other side of that revenue operators who are the directors, who are the boom mic operators, who are the back end people who are making sure that the show goes on and that we're focused on the final product. Because when you're interacting with people at an individual level or even at scale messaging in your segments, you're not thinking about the whole picture. You're thinking right. about that interaction. Right. It's, and that's to kind of circle back to the word no. Sometimes I phrase it as not yet because I want to make sure that we have that alignment. You know, if, if marketing gets this idea of, hey, I really want to go for this. I, like sometimes it's, it's more so, okay, what's sales going to do with those leads? And it's that moment of realization of, wait, I didn't think about that because I'm, I'm in my marketing zone. And it's okay, it's okay for them to be in that marketing zone, right? But like, we need to have that conversation together of, hey, marketing wants to do this thing that's probably going to generate some good leads, Sales needs to know about it, needs to know, here's the talking points. And then all the way down to customer success, here are the customers that it's probably going to generate. And these might be some unique support needs. So really, I mean, either that's it's group conversations or, you know, sometimes I work behind the scenes and, you know, I'll just kind of put something in some, and a bug in somebody's ear and say, hey, have you heard about this? If not, mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about that. And it's, it's not really to kind of like, I don't know, to be some like, medieval advisor, like, oh, you should, you know, someone's talking about you behind your back. But it's, it's really kind of to, to, to get to the point of like, everybody needs an advisor. And well, a revenue operator is a truth, should be a truth teller. Right. And, yeah. and the thing that a revenue operator should know is uh, we, what we do is part art and part science. Yes. Right. And it's, it can't all be intuition based. Uh, and if you have a hunch or you have this, you know, inkling of what's wrong, you need to go find data or do what we call a durability test because we use a lot of design thinking principles to go find out if the pattern that you're thinking you see is true or not. Um, the same way, again, moving to that marketing analogy that like if you're spending money and you have attribution channels and you don't see it working, you're probably going to be like, oh, this isn't working. But it probably the right thing to do is not just to double down in this one channel that is actually not working by the data. Right. Right. So I believe in intuition, but I think intuition should be backed up by, uh, yeah. by data or facts or something that has more tangibility. Because I think that your closeness as a revenue operator to the problems is part of the problem that we're not taken seriously for, because we speak with such urgency about things or, or things that people feel like are urgent. We speak about them like they're not urgent. And, you know, that bedside manner can really uh, cause some issues for a lot of revenue operators that I see trying to really do a good job for their organization. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the other part is, you know, with revenue ops still kind of being this, I don't know, shapeless thing for a lot of companies, mm -hmm. 
what was once sales or marketing ops is now revenue ops. That's the case for us, right? So mm -hmm. we're moving into that. So it's a it's a it's somewhat of an uphill battle to be seen as somebody other than here's like a support arm. Here's yes. somebody that's I'm your Salesforce admin. That's true. I am, but I've also been around the block and seen the strategic side of it. So yeah. I can probably help you. Like I don't want to just clean up your messes. I want to help you prevent the messes. <laughs> Yeah. One of the tools in my tool belt is salesforce.com. And by yeah. the way, I administer that for the business. Right. Right. It's a very different kind of mindset than your support of salesforce.com. Right. Right. How, so, yeah. How is the team structured now? And, you know, you're talking about, you're going through this transition. So yeah. what's that transition look like? And what are some of the key things that you would recommend to other organizations considering if they're considering moving to RevOps models? Yeah. So um, we're a pretty lean team. It is myself. And then I have, um, Right now, his 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 title is not correct. We are moving him to a revenue ops manager. Right now, it is a sales and marketing operations manager, and that's I, we don't feel that that's indicative of what he does. So we're we're moving him up because again, we want to show that parity of this is rev ops. Um, but he essentially is kind of the behind the scenes guy. He is the systems guy, um, but he's learning the strategic side. So it's but it's just the two of us kind of supporting you know, whether it's uh, marketing, sales, CS, that kind of thing. And we, we just split our time. So, um, you know, I still get my hands dirty quite often. We're looking to expand. There's obviously more than enough work with any org that you find with, you know, with strategy. We have new products coming, things like that. So there's, there's a whole list, a laundry list of things. Um, this guy is very technical and I would not survive without him. He is amazing. And he's learning the strategic side. You know, he, he doesn't quite have his voice there. So that's, you know, I'm explaining to him, I think what, what makes that well-rounded RevOps is somebody who has the technical piece and also can feel free to speak up and say, you know, first of all, this is going to create tech debt, not a good idea, right. you know, because it's an important part. We're always going to maintain the systems for them, for, for sales, for marketing, whatever that is. Um, but it's, you know, he's getting to know more of the business simply out of necessity. And, and specifically, I have him working on the customer success stuff, which I think is, you know, it's the crucial part of our piece. Well, yeah, um, during COVID, we're seeing that uh, upsells and cross sales are continuing to double in some organizations where net new is down by 50 or 60%. Right. Exactly. Retention, true ups, all that stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's been great to really kind of see him flourish and really get, get to understand it where we were very limited and, you know, like sales dominated the need prior to, yep. you know, prior to COVID, it was SDRs need this, AEs need this. And our CS team, you know, God love them. They were very self-sufficient. They did what they needed to do, but now we're like, let's take it to the next level because we need to make sure that you guys are taken care of. So we're really kind of trying to even like focus our time between that because we want to make sure that, you know, they are part of that go-to-market and it's a very critical par part to us, you know, that customer yeah. retention. So, uh, you know, we need to do what we can from a systems strategic, strategic part. At Go Nimbly, we believe there are four meta layer skills of a revenue operations team, mm -hmm. which is one is strategy, two is tools, three yeah. is enablement. It doesn't mean sales coaching. It means overall enablement of the processes. Like yeah. we think, I think a sales coach lives in the sales organization because they're, they're influencing individuals, not scale. Right. Uh, and then insights because analytics is not enough. You need to tell people what they should be seeing and what the story that you're trying to tell. And we think of it as a flywheel. So it goes all the way through. And what we do is we identify the gaps that we think through pattern recognition, we identify gaps in the data and go, okay, 
what's the operational project here? Is it a strategy project? Is it a tools project? Is it an enablement project? And you'll really to solve anything, it's going to be multiple projects of all four of those variety. But the way that we break it down and we put it onto a roadmap, very much like a product team would put a feature. How close is that to your process? And uh, it sounds like you believe in a similar uh, philosophy that we do, which is uh, ranged individuals on an operations team are far superior to specific um, highly skilled or people, because I believe uh, if you are a Salesforce admin and you're really skilled in it and an Apex developer, everything looks like that kind of problem to you. Um, and I think an operator needs to be very uh, unbiased as much as you possibly can be, or at least as a global team, maybe you have specialists on your team, but as a global team, you're very well balanced. What yeah. do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I'm uh, jack of all trades, master of all trades. I, I hate the phrase master of none, but um, like, I, my, my ultimate goal with revenue ops is like literal human duct tape. Um, it's, you know, it, the systems piece is, it's a critical component, but to your point, um, I also don't like pigeonholing people from like a growth perspective. I think, you know, that, you know, there's a lot of salesforce.com admins. We're actually recruiting right now for like a sales admin and I'm, I'm getting so many people who are like, I'm a salesforce.com certified admin. And I'm like, that's great. What else can you do? Like, right. that's not all I need. I need somebody who's a user of Salesforce, not just somebody who can manage it. Um, so that's, you know, the balance has to be there because again, we're also limited in scope. So, you know, my, my team and I, like, I, I say my team, there's two of us, we have to be able to do everything. And we, we do have a roadmap where, you know, similar to that. And we operate very much like a dev team for two reasons. One, my, um, my president who I report to is an engineer. So that's the way he thinks. So it's very helpful to him when we run in sprints because yeah. I can take things to him and say, hey, this is what I'm gonna prioritize. This is how I'm gonna be spending my time. You are cool with it? Like, this is what you're gonna get out of us in this two week sprint, in this one month sprint, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, we, we can talk points, things like that. He's used to it, so it makes sense. Um, the other part is, you know, like from a prioritization, everybody's always asking for something. So right. you know, when, when you have that roadmap, you can say, look, this is a big ticket item and it's easier for us to show the outcome of if we, if you give us this time and leave us alone and we can get this done, here's what it's actually going to benefit. Like here's where we can actually show somewhat show you with the ROI from our team. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. You know, one thing that you just said at the beginning of this, that I always find fascinating because uh, I've often been criticized in my career because I feel like I am a jack of all trades and I really value that. And yeah. I go nimbly when we bring people in, they usually come from a sales ops, marketing ops, or technical background. Mm -hmm. And we utilize them because they have a special skill, but we very quickly put them into a role where they may be solution architects of those tool systems and tools and processes, but they're not doing the work. They're doing work in other areas that they're not experts in. Yeah. Um, and over time, they become much more like an E, which is a, a way that IDEO and Frog do their human development versus being a T, which is like you have a deep, you know, you have a very deep uh, letter down to yeah. it. And one of the things I always tell my team when they when they worry about the jack of all trades, master of none is that's actually not the same. Right. Yeah. The actual saying is jack of all trades, master of none, though oftentimes better than a master of one. Uh, and most people have just cut off the actual saying, yeah. which is, it's actually a positive saying about the broadness and range of individuals and what really it means to bring strategicness to a, a role and realizing that uh, the breadth is what's important in our role. And in some roles, I don't 
agree with that. But in things like development and where, you know, most organizations are now hiring people who are full stack engineers because it's not useful to hire just a specific kind of language engineer anymore. Yeah. I think the same thing with revenue operations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like from a cost perspective, like I, do I want somebody who's, who can do one thing and do it really, really well? Maybe, but you know, like I'm, I'm just going to get so much more out of somebody who's at least willing to try a bunch of other things and, you know, sink or swim, I, you know, and, and it's just my personal philosophy. I'm self-taught with any of this stuff. Somebody yeah. gave me the keys to Salesforce and I was like, are you sure? Like, and I didn't blow it up. So that's great. Um, but it's, you know, I, I really like with, with my team, it's my, as, as a manager there, I don't feel like there's any better way for me to support them than to challenge them. Yeah. You know, like I don't want them to work for me for the rest of their life. I want them to be me at some point. I want them to go above me and be more mm-hmm. successful. And, you know, if, if I put them into kind of that silo of you are a system admin, I don't see how that benefits them. Or yeah, my- I totally agree with you. Yeah. I mean, you have all the right ideas uh, fundamentally. How have you seen these ideas that you have fundamentally shift the conversation at your organization? Um, this is like, when I was hired in two, just about two years ago, there was no operations. So this is like a blank slate. They're not really sure what to do with us sometimes. And uh, sometimes I think it's overwhelming. So it, which is good and bad, right? It's, we're, we're at the kind of point in time where we somewhat get to write our own ticket, but we also are not really sure where we're going to start stepping on toes. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a dance to try and kind of figure that out because we're working with leadership who is not, whose leadership's never even seen this. So, um, but that's, that's also somewhat appealing to me to be able to kind of shape my own destiny a little bit yeah. more so than, you know, than anything else. I think that's probably also another draw to the, to the piece, but um, it's, it's really just, you know, I've had a lot of open conversations where I say, I'm going to push, you can push back and tell me if I'm, you know, overstepping, but mm-hmm. this is why I'm going to make this suggestion. This is why I'm going to speak on this. Um, and I, I mean, I don't, luckily, I don't know what adjective to use there. I don't, I haven't encountered much pushback because I can usually explain, here's why I have an opinion on this. That's no. great. That's, I mean, that's a great piece of information. Uh, I think sometimes when we're too technical, like if you have a technical operations team, they'll just go like, it needs to be done this way. Cause it needs to be done that way, which, you know, is a, a, a one of the signs that even operators can fall into silo syndrome, because what you're saying is, Oh, you couldn't possibly understand my language. So I'm just going to like bombard you with this thing that you're stupid or you don't understand or whatever. And I've heard so many operators and sales ops and marketing ops speak that way to the rest of their team. And yeah. I think it's totally inappropriate. Yeah. Fastest way to shut down a conversation. Yeah. 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 How did you end up at RevOps? How did you go from sales ops and marketing ops and mentally for yourself? How, how did that journey begin? Who turned you on to it? And, and sort of how did you come to it? So I, I just kept seeing it. And actually, I think it was like probably serious decisions or something. I just kept seeing all these articles of like, you know, the, the birth of RevOps. And I was just like, you know what? Yes. Like, I just really... I, I, I felt like this was kind of what, where I was going strategically with a business because, you know, I want, you know, I want that seat at the table. And one of the companies that I was with, I, I found myself with a lot of FaceTime with the CEO and a lot of him telling me, look, this is actually your show. I don't know if you realize that, like, I'm, I want you to do all this stuff. And 
these other people are just kind of more executing. Mm -hmm. um, I was having a conversation with one of my coworkers the other day and he likened it to a chessboard. And he said, you know, like, if you were a chess piece, what, what are you? And I, I was like, I, I don't know. Uh, and he was just like, no, you're the queen. Revenue mm -hmm. office is the queen. You need to be able to move in any direction. And I'm like, now, okay, so not only do I get to wear a crown, but like, yes, that is actually what I would like the freedom to be able to do. So that's, you know, we're, we're trying to kind of figure out how do we, how do we do that and not appear that we are a dictatorship, right? Because mm -hmm. you know, we don't want to turn off the department heads and say, you're going to do what I tell you to do. Not at all the goal of this, mm -hmm. but it's, it's more so we want the ability to, and I, I think, you know, I've spoken to a lot of RevOps people. I think we want the ability to, we want the invite, first of all, we want the invite to the table. And we, we just want the, the ability to kind of understand things. Because again, if we, if we get invited sooner, less, less need for us on the back end to fix something when it breaks. Yeah. You know, uh, last uh, serious question and then we'll play a game. Um, so we believe in a, a operational maturity model that goes at the bottom intuition base when you first are an organization or you're first are a sales ops or marketing ops person, or maybe even a rev ops person, you're going a lot of intuition. Someone comes into your office and says, hey, Salesforce isn't working for me as an example. And you sit down with them. You're like, yeah, I can see how it's broken. You fix a page layout. Everyone's happy. It feels like hunky-dory. People leave. The second stage is experience-based operations, which is I've done this at my organization before in the past. We've done sales territory management this way. I think we're going to do it that way. Maybe it's a VP of sales telling you to do something a certain way, but it's all experience-based. And then that upper echelon is what we call the customer gap focused operations team. And we use a methodology that I hope becomes an industry standard in RevOps and, and we're building software so that it can called 3VC, which is we take your buying experience uh, of your customer, and we map that over to four key RevOps metrics being velocity, value, volume, and conversion, 3DC. Um, and we say, we're going to look at this and analyze it against ourselves over the last six months and industry. And GoNimble is lucky enough to work with enough organizations that we can look at you know, the SaaS industry and say, you're below average here. And then we're going to build our operational suggestions based where we actually see the data telling us that there is a problem from stage zero, as an example, to stage one in conversion, we're down over the last six months. So maybe we know what that is using our experience or intuition. Maybe we don't, we have to go run what we call durability tests by interviewing people or getting best practice from the organizations. And then we're going to operationally put a project out there. Uh, and then we're gonna monitor that for three months and see if those numbers actually change. Let's say we wanna see volume increase from stage zero to stage one, and we think that was a marketing ops problem around lead scoring. We went and made the lead scoring adjustments. We see a volume increase, right? So it's very specific to that. Um, that's what we mean when we're saying, hey, there's a gap in the customer experience. Because what we found is that your customers come to you wanting to buy and your, your go-to-market team, your revenue team erodes trust. And so you might still win the deal. But what you end up doing is you don't win the biggest deal. You don't win the longest contract. You don't win so on and so on. And I really believe that revenue operations, the key to it is analyzing your yeses mm -hmm. and understanding how to maximize each customer. Whereas growth hacking and other forms of operational methodologies that have come out in the past are all about growth. I think RevOps is all about maximization. How do you feel about that? And then what is your process for analyzing your customer gaps? Yeah, no, I like that. I think, you know, I think everybody could do with a little 
self inward self-reflection to say, what are my friction points internally? Right? Like how am I causing the deals to slow down? How am I causing the deals to be lower? Because I mean, we're, we're not perfect, right? Like, and there, there's definitely times when we get those inbound leads and we don't do the right thing with them. That's, mm-hmm. you know, like every company has that. So I, I definitely can um, appreciate that model. I think um, that would be like Nirvana. I think we do, we do some of that well, definitely not all of it. We almost do um, like a case by case situation. So we're pretty tied off when it comes to uh, like reporting and Power BI because it's, it's, we've taken, we have a lot of different systems for being a very small organization and we've been able to kind of lump them all together and really get a clear picture, I think, of like A to Z. Like here's the start of, um, here's the start of someone's journey with us and here's, you know, here's the customer and here's how we're going to retain them and, you know, potentially, hopefully expand them, land and expand. Um, And it's, we're, we're better at identifying, I guess, the big, the big friction points, right? Mm -hmm. Like the big, like really kind of the stages of the funnel that you would expect to be able to inspect. Um, But we definitely have work to do on some of the other ones that maybe, either they're you know it's like a little microcosm or um it's just going to be more painful for us and it's Mm going to be more change internally but i think that's that's what we're looking for you know for 2021 and beyond is you know we're we're, nobody wants to settle for mediocrity Mm -hmm. we have to start doing that we have to start holding ourselves accountable um and we have to start questioning it uh would you like to play a game before we go Yes, let's do it. Okay, so this game is super simple, and I'm sure you've played it. I'm not right. going to say where. It's called Kiss, Mary, Kill. Uh, okay. It's the PC name of, of, yeah. of, a, of a game that you might have played in high school. Yeah. Um, and it is the RevOps uh, edition of the game. Okay. So Kiss, Mary, Kill, I'm going to give you three, uh, three things that are in a joint topic, and you're going to tell me which thing you're going to kiss, which thing you're going to marry, and which thing you're going to kill. Okay. Okay, rep rides, customer experience mapping, or competitive analysis. Kiss, marry, kill. I am um, going to kill rep rides. Just personally, I don't like them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am going, it's the reason I'm behind the scenes, honestly. It's, um, I am going to kiss the customer and I am going to marry the competitive analysis. Great. Awesome choices. You know, I like the rep ride, but I also feel like sometimes they, they are a little aimless and, and they can often create a sense of things that are going to change in the organization that you don't really have control over yeah. in my experience. I don't yeah. like this. Okay. I, yeah. I'll write that down. I'm, I'm not really interested in that, but exactly. yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> Uh, okay, kiss, marry, kill. Next one. Uh, these are sayings that uh, are coming around. Uh, they've always been around, but I, I hear them more now than ever. Um, double click, low hanging fruit, or nice to e meet you. Oh, um, and I, yeah, man, you got to marry one of these guys. No, that's the tough part. I can divorce it though, right? I mean, <laughs> this is forever. You're Catholic in this scenario. <laughs> um, I will say as annoying as it is, nice to eat meat, you is like harmless in a way. It's just sort of cheesy. So I, I'll marry that. 
Okay. That tells me that's like the dad of these three. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, double click. I, I gotta, I gotta kill it. It's uh, okay. Yeah. Low hanging fruit. I'll kiss it because who hasn't kissed a maniac? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, Jessica. We won't uh, dive any more on that. And the last one, this is an existential one. Yeah. Kiss, Mary, kill the past, the present, the future. Oh man. Um, so I'm going to, kiss the past, I am going to marry the future and kill the present. Nice. That Does that make me believe that you're not a big blame culture person, that it's not important to get to that part of it? No. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I had a mentor once um, and unfortunately he passed away, but like huge impact on my life. But uh, it was really about like his, his biggest thing was you got to learn from everything. And so, you know, like I, I don't live with regrets when things happen. I I'll get frustrated because I'm human, but yep. I don't let that come with, I don't carry it. Like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Now, Jessica, we're going to switch the roles here and you're going to ask me a question. I am a revenue operations expert. What question do you have for me? What question do I have for you? So, all right. Um, because because this is the stage of the game that we're in. So how do you deal with, I guess, the inequities that some team members might find you at? So let me kind of explain. So say that you formed a really great partnership um, in terms of marketing, but you're not quite there with sales. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you get there? Yeah. So how do you get there? I think that the, the data element can sometimes help. Um, and it's specific because it can build trust. Now there are certain sales reps and certain sales leaders that I've run into, like go nimbly works with very large SaaS companies like Twilio, Zendesk. It's hard to tell the VP of sales of Zendesk. They don't, that they might not be making a decision that's incorrect. Um, and so, you know, but typically how we do it is we show, uh, where we take their, the things that they want to put onto a roadmap and we prioritize those against our data. So we are never going to tell them that what they want to do is useless. We're usually going to find the thing that is the most useful Mm -hmm. and rally around that and say, this one of these five great ideas you have, Mr. VP of sales, is the one that is going to have the most cross-functional lift. Oh my God, thank you so much for finding that for us. Even if we know it, you know, it's a little bit of what you were saying, right? Um, and, And let them in on the process. And then the second thing I would say is you need to develop a new form of meeting. And so we are big proponents of what's called an action meeting. Mm-hmm. And an action meeting is a thing where you bring the heads of these teams together into a RevOps setting and you build the agenda in real time together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on our blog. You can read all about action meetings. We do workshops on it. Um, but what's cool about that is people are going to have three minutes to talk about what they want to talk about and inform the rest of the team. And the whole thing's about what are we going to do next? So it's about building momentum. Yeah. Um, and I'm a big fan of this saying, which is the person that's most organized in the room will win the conversation. And RevOps is usually the most organized person in the room. Mm-hmm. So by forcing people to come to the table with some agenda, with things to talk about, and then also finding their kind of pet projects and finding the one that's going to have the most impact to the organization, I think you can reestablish trust because sometimes trust is built just because you have it and you have mutual success with someone. I would say that we should also examine the relationships that are easy because maybe they're built as a RevOps person. A lot of times they're built on 
uh, alignment that might not have been a deliberate, right? Mm-hmm. It might've just been that you thought the things that they wanted to do were right. And they thought the same thing or that you both have a respect for data, I would also start to put those things through that same filter and bring those into the action meeting. I find those are two places that you can really bring, bring commonality. Um, the thing that we see the most is we do this thing called the silo breaking workshop. We bring all the different department heads into a room together and we go through what we call the buying experience. Some people call it the customer journey, but I'm more focused on the actions that, the, that you actually do when you win, not what you think is happening, but let's follow the actual uh, customer experience and what they did, who they reached out to, all of that kind of stuff. So it's, it's more close to how you would do product, um, product build outs and, and figuring out their path sort of. But in that process, you realize these teams are not talking together enough. And mm-hmm. if you can bring them together and make them feel like they have momentum, however minuscule that is, you will become the trust monger of your, of your entire org. Uh, um, and if people can let their egos go, I think you can really transform organizations. So action meetings and using some kind of data to prioritize so they feel smart, they'll let the other stuff go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of core for them to have the experience of, oh, this is my ally, but also I'm going to listen to them because they help me look the best I possibly can look. I sometimes think the way to defeat silo syndrome is by saying we can all win. And that is particularly hard sometimes with sales leaders because their livelihood has been on this idea that not everyone can win. Yeah. Um, and, and so I try to be empathetic to that, that they have this cultural thing. I think in the future, there will be no more sales marketing or customer success. It will be the go-to-market team, uh, things like drift and chatbots, and your customers want you to meet them where they are. So if your marketing person is on an initial conversation with a customer, is that sales or is that marketing? No, it doesn't matter. And the customer doesn't care either. So I think that we're going to see emerging of those philosophies soon enough as well. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think, uh, you know, I talked to some people who are already kind of testing the waters there, um, whether it's, you know, small company and they've got one person doing all three, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and I, I think that'll be a really interesting kind of pivot point. But well, it's already happening with BDRs at even the larger scale companies. They keep moving who owns that department. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. I've, I've, so. I've, I've managed them and I've had them on the sales side. So yeah, it's poor BDRs. It's like the redheaded stepchild. So. I agree. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Jessica. And uh, redhead stepchild uh, aside, I've had a great uh, time having a conversation with you. All right, you too. Have a nice day. Thanks, you too.